candy, hot dogs, and popcorn. Popcorn. <laughs> Is that your favorite? Uh huh. I do. <laughs> because they pop. <laughs> pop. 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 <laughs> Welcome back to Phantom Galaxy. I'm Nathan Bartleball. Chris Durham. Seth Dombach. And we are continuing our journey down the Stephen King road, the or the Stephen King Highway, I think uh, we referred to it last time. We did carry first, and we've moved on to it, and uh, partly because, what, it's like the most popular thing around right now. It's weird to be in a time that is not 19, you know... 80-something, <laughs> yeah. and have Stephen King be as popular, I feel, as he is right now, uh, again. And it's made tons of money by this mm-hmm. point. We saw it a couple weeks ago. We got everybody together. It was uh, Seth, myself, uh, Jason Coupler, and Chris. And Jason's going to be on the podcast in a little bit later. He and I will be talking about the kind of comparison, comparing this with the 1990 miniseries that had Tim Curry that I think has a decent amount of fans, mostly because they remember Tim Curry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were probably like between 8 and 12 when they saw the original <laughs> exactly. miniseries. But the new movie, that's the part we're going to talk about first. Uh, Seth and I are going to kind of do a little bit of analysis of comparison with, with what goes on in the book. But we're going to talk the movie right now with Chris. Say we... Uh, we got to see it a couple weeks ago. We saw it at a theater up in PA that will remain nameless. Although we certainly oh, had a we weird, we had a weird kind of experience at the theater because uh, <laughs> I thought we were going to get murdered kind yeah. of early on. <laughs> I thought we were visited by Pennywise. Well, because we were we were headed up to the Trogs Brewery, which also turns out to be really cool. It was really nice. Oh yeah. And if you're into beer and you're into food, mm-hmm. I was surprised how good the like quote unquote snack bar, which is like yeah. a yeah. basically a full blown restaurant. Food awesome. Yeah. Food kind was of, fantastic. Almost like yeah. a kind of German kind of feel to pub food. I mean not all of it, but certainly they had like uh sausages and red cabbage and all that. Giant kind of stuff. pretzels. Giant pretzels. Huge giant pretzels. Uh so we were headed up that way, so we went to a theater that was close to Hershey, but it was definitely kind of like in a strip mall. <laughs> which is the first yeah. part when my well i think my heart sank when we went through the town we realized that the biggest building was the antique farm that looked like some kind of synagogue or something <laughs> rising up above the town i was like is this gatlin where are we right yeah. now yeah and so we get to like this like mall and uh there's like a theater inside of it. and we go inside theater inside is not really that bad but like seth's already in the theater and Chris and Jason, I walk in, and there's a guy with, you buy a ticket to It, boys? Me too. Yeah. He's like, follow me. I'll show you where your seats are. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that man is not an usher. Yeah. And it's like, so then we go down these like bright yellow hallways. Yes. Like, like almost neon yellow. It's like The Shining a little bit. Like and he's walk- like scampering on like he's, ahead he'll of walk us. Like- a, but he's like Smeagol. He'll walk like three feet, and yeah. he'll, he'll turn around excitedly to see if we're still behind him. And I'm like... 
keep going. <laughs> and like, so finally, I think we've lost my walking down. And it's like a weird zigzag hallway. I thought it was actually getting smaller, like Dr. Caligari or something. So we went down it. And then we get to the end, and there was finally the theater. It's all the way to the far end where no one could hear a scream, the ushers, and the two, the two people working the ticket booth slash snack bar. <laughs> And then we get there, and he's holding. He's like, "After you, boys." Yeah. I wasn't certain if we were gonna walk through that door into the back of his truck, yeah. <laughs> like in the back of a van door, just slammed shut. He's like, "Enjoy <laughs> the show, fellas. We all floating like, here." Yeah. So, uh, thank- every twenty-seven years, he comes back. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. So, thankfully, uh, nothing, nothing ridiculous happened. Although I was trying to explain it to Seth, we were walking into the bathroom there and trying to say man there was a crazy dude in here it's just like that guy like the stall door opens <laughs> and this dude with a giant grin on his face just like walks right out it's like yep that's that guy that guy right there <laughs> so somehow um, we made it out of that town alive i think i, I think i actually said on the way in, i was like i turned to you guys and said this is how we die and just walked <laughs> into the theater but um nope so in pennsylvania yes yeah <laughs> Could have warned us, Seth. <laughs> Pennsylvania's for lovers. Chained um, up in a, in a hole in a basement somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. Takes all kinds. But uh, but we did see the movie It, and I personally was pretty impressed with it. Uh, I think the hype was pretty big by the time it came out. Um, it's interesting, I think, to see a movie where it's pretty satisfying. I won't. I mean, it has its flaws. It, if you know the book, there are things I would have liked to seen. I feel like we're starting to have some like haters finally come out of the woodwork now because it's so mm-hmm. popular that are like, oh, it's so, so inferior to the miniseries. Yeah, you go watch that. You go watch the last 10 minutes of that miniseries again <laughs> and you come yeah, back and exactly. tell me that. But um, I want to hear you guys' thoughts too uh, first on it. But I, I was impressed with it. I think this will probably be a common theme, I imagine, is as much as I did enjoy the horror pieces and I did like Pennywise the Clown the the heart of the movie to me was the kids i mean and that's the yeah. way it should mm-hmm. be but like the relationship with the kids is what drove me through the movie i mean that's what yeah. makes the movie special at all to me yeah mm-hmm. yeah i agree i mean uh it felt like the they did stand by me with like an evil clown popping in here and there the stand the stuff with the kids really just kept the movie going and alive i really enjoyed it and I don't really have a long, a strong history with this particular piece because I didn't see the miniseries until I was probably like 18 or so. Like, my brother-in-law forced me to watch it because I didn't even like horror movies around that time. But um, I watched it, you know, and I don't remember a whole lot about it now, like, watching this thing. But the movie was uh, was really, really good. The kids really kept me interested and um, had some good, some, some good scares, but got me like really enough interested in the story that I bought the book so I'm going to try and like get through that before the new one comes out in a couple of years because it takes me a while to read but and yeah, you're about was, 60 pages into the book now yeah, and you were pretty you weren't any at the time you saw the movie you hadn't Correct. seen yeah. any of it so uh yeah I like I loved it I thought it was great Seth what do you uh think I'll say in my opinion this is one of I'm going to already say it's one of my favorite horror movies to come out in the last probably 10 years or so. Maybe not definitely like not the top, but it's, it's up there for me. Um, one of my biggest things that I'm seeing a criticism of the film is a lot of people are coming out and saying, Oh, well, it's not scary at all. It's, there's nothing, there's not a lot of horror elements in it. And I'm thinking to myself, did we watch the same movie? I mean, <laughs> like I, I'm a jaded horror fan because I've seen so many movies at this point, but I mean, Horror, I guess, like, comedy is subjective, but at the same time, 
there's so many horror elements there. You know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to sit here and say that I was terrified by it or anything like that, but there's genuinely creepy moments in this way, in this yeah. movie. And it, it builds dread. There's a lot of suspense there. And a lot of that is due to the fact that they spent so much time on the children's characters. Like they're believable kids. You feel for them. And when they're terrified and scared and threatened, you feel that sense of dread for them. You know, even being somebody who's seen the miniseries, who's read the books multiple times, you know, I'm still feeling for these kids as I watch this movie. And honestly, just above all else, this was a fun movie to see. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to say that this is going to be in the rotation for me for years to come. Yeah. And even another thing you point on that it definitely has creepy moments. Like, that's not even just like the obvious, like, supernatural scares and stuff i mean these kids are dealing with stuff in their real lives in the right. movie that is kind of like dark and scary too in a way so yeah i was i thought it was pretty creepy myself yeah i i think too and jason and i were i don't want to speak too much for jason but he were talking talking about this and he kind of makes statements like well how many horror movies really are scary like legitimately mm -hmm. scary scary right. in the terms of like you're an adult and they're going to terrify you. They might leave right. you with some anxiety. Um, I actually tend to find that fiction is scarier, horror fiction is scarier than movies um, because your imagination does a lot of the work there. Mm -hmm. And you can, yeah. I mean, films are so concrete that I find very rarely does a movie ever outright scare me. It might creep me out a mm -hmm. little. But, I mean, I think in general most horror films aren't, you know, being full-blown scary is not to me, this may sound a weird thing to say, it's not the qualifying factor of a horror movie. However, I yeah. think if your movie's not creepy or unsettling at all, like, people call a lot of things horror that maybe aren't these days. I think it is clearly horror. It is horror, this particular first movie, is horror primarily from the kid perspective. And that's because this movie doesn't leave the kid's perspective. Like, mm -hmm. it would if it had been a comedy, it would have been a kid's perspective comedy. Not a kid's comedy, mind you. Not a comedy for children, but a comedy right. done with the mindset of a kid or a drama with the mindset of a kid. And it is a drama. It is a comedy sometimes. I mean, uh, it's all those things. I think, too, tell me what you guys think about this. I feel like there's a certain genre of horror. I don't think I'm coining a, a term here. But it's kind of like wish fulfillment horror in a sense of like where you have the characters fighting back. And there's a certain sense of like empowerment that does. Yeah. It, it in some ways it brings the tensions up, but it also neutralizes some of the horror. Like mm -hmm. it, it, I think, I feel like a lot of people who make these criticisms are so fatalistic. They need a horror movie where somebody comes in and just like murders or, or torments horribly a bunch of people. And then those people yeah. eventually die and succumb to hope. And that's it, you know, or, or, or succumb their hope to despair. And that's the end of the movie. And mm -hmm. that's what makes it scary. Cause that's what real life is. And like, <laughs> Pam, you're grizzled. But uh, <laughs> in reality, I, I do enjoy this kind of horror. Aliens is that sort of a horror movie. It's Don't be afraid of the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark. A lot of movies where there's a certain element of fighting back. I mean, we see these kids facing their bullies and their monsters and their fears. And I mean, that was even a part of the old, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy movies, really. Yeah, and mm -hmm. then the, the, I mean, you know, they just kept coming back. But I mean, most good horror has to have a... A contrast to it and i feel like part of that is yeah, yeah these things aren't you're not going to be seeing the kind of horror you see but honestly it to me was creepier and it was more invested than a movie like the devil's rejects or and name yeah. any movie with rob zombie's name on the title i mean i think there were creepier more effective moments in it than anything zombies done yeah that's absolutely true i mean and it, like you think about it like when when you talk about 
the most classic horror films of all time. I mean, uh, now some of them really hold up well, and some of them are still genuinely scary. But you know, you mentioned a perfect example: the Nightmare on Elm Street series, like especially the first one. You know, that's so revered amongst horror fans, and yet you go back and watch that now as an adult. And it's not really that scary anymore, especially if you've gone through a lot of horror films. Like, there's not, I mean, but we still think of it as something that was terrifying, whereas you still have something like the new It version, and there's a lot of those similar elements to it, and there's a lot of those kind of scares in it. I mean, there's not really even a high kill count in the It movie. There's maybe, like, only a few people who die in the movie, but most of it is just that sense of dread, that sense of, like, foreboding that something is going to happen, you know, so people who who get in that mindset of oh i need a horror movie that's gonna you know murder all the kids and gonna torture people and that's gonna be you know true uh scariness like i I can't understand that kind of mindset like this is this has all the elements of a classic horror movie you know there's there's many frightening images in this you know there's there's a lot going on in this movie and I, i think it will go down as a classic you know even whatever the detractors to this film are talking about right now yeah, mm-hmm. and if there's anyone who's listening, and we're trying to be mostly spoiler-free right now, we'll give you like a spoiler warning if we really get into things. But for anyone who is wondering about this movie in terms of like, well, how scary is it, or not, can you show it to kids? But at what age could you show a, a kid this movie? I mean, I don't think this is not a PG-13 horror movie. It's definitely an R-rated movie, but I think it would depend on the mileage of your 13, 13 year old. Yeah. You know, I have a good friend who uh, he's. You know, he is pretty um, careful about the things he would let his 13-year-old watch, but he took him uh, with him to see the movie, and he had even read some of the book. I mean, at 13, I mean, I think, Seth, you and I probably read this book by the time we were 13. Um, yeah. Whether we should have is a different story. But I think <laughs> I think if you've got a... Uh, if you've got a teenager who is sort of like... has seen this kind of thing or is familiar with this sort of thing, and you know they can handle it, I don't. I think it's a pretty good movie for teenagers. I don't think it goes over yeah. the pay over beyond the pale in terms of the violence and gore. It never is more violent than it needs to be, if that makes sense. No. Um, and I think if you're someone who's like wondering, can I handle the scares? Unless you're super sensitive. I mean, it's creepy. I would say even people are like, oh, I have a fear of clowns. The way Pennywise is portrayed in the movie, it's far more demonic than just a clown yeah. i, I mm-hmm. feel like in some ways that maybe makes him less scary as a just a traditional clown mm-hmm. he definitely is less traditional clown he i think we mentioned he looks like a medieval harlequin he doesn't look like yeah. um the bozo the clown kind of like drunk bozo that tim curry looked like with his red eyes mm-hmm. in the in the original. stephen king kind of wrote you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah you're right you're right you're absolutely right chris that in the book he is described as a bo- I think the guys even say he looks like Bozo the Clown at one across point. between yeah. uh, Mc- Ronald McDonald and Ronald, uh, Bozo. You're yeah. right because the characters in the '50s kind of like would say Bozo, but you're, the, the characters who see him in the '80s make say Ronald McDonald and like kind of mm-hmm. Bozo. So yeah, he's he point being as you point, he's a traditional clown. Whereas the Pennywise in this film looks more ancient, a little more. Um, like you, he he seems like he's manifesting as a clown, but he also, in a weird way, even though this takes place in the '80s, he doesn't seem like a clown any of those kids would have made up. Like mm-hmm. you know, he like you always get a feeling sometimes in it that well, he's the manifestation, and he is the manifestation of fears. But the clown seems to be a guise that he he or she or it <laughs> has chosen purposefully, you know. But it, it's not based on one kid or one person's interpretation of a clown. Um, let's talk that first scene because I think we're talking about scares and creepy scenes. That first scene, 
that is kind of classic or iconic. And at this point, if you want to stop listening, you can. I think it's it's a pretty well known scene in its in the trailers a lot where. Um, the, the the event that starts the movie off is the main character Bill, his brother Georgie, encounters Pennywise the clown down in a storm drain, a sewer drain. And uh, what did you guys think about this? Because I feel like this is the scene they had to get right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it set the tone perfectly for the movie because it starts off and you're like, if the first part is if you have no idea what this is, you're kind of like thinking to yourself, what the heck is exactly happening? There's just like clown in the sewer. But it really has a, a brilliant tone to it. Like he's talking to the kid on the kid's terms and you feel like this sinister child predator of some sort, you know, not necessarily if he's going to eat the kid or some other form of predator. predator. Like he, it just, it feels wrong. Something just feels really wrong. And then, you know, it, it proceeds from there. I really felt that set the tone perfectly for the rest of the movie. I thought it was great. A great little scene. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that, too. Um, And and like you said, you know, they they needed to get that scene correct to really set the tone for the rest of the movie. What I like about it is, first off, especially if you're going to be comparing it to the miniseries, which I know a lot of people are going with that mindset as well, too. Like, the the kid in this one felt a lot more believable. I love Mm -hmm. um, Skarsgård's... Uh, portrayal of Pennywise in this one because it's so it is very creepy and just it feels wrong like you just get that like as soon as he like pops up you get that sense of dread in mm-hmm. you you know you know something's gonna happen really bad um and, and I like the fact that they were willing to go a lot farther than they did in the miniseries like in the miniseries you just see you know Curry's mouth open with a bunch of teeth this one you actually see Pennywise bite down on him you see Georgie crawling away you know with the arm missing and then get pulled into the drain um but but like Nathan said this is not overly gory you know it I I think it plays a lot more in your mind as as to what's happening than what you really see on the screen because it's quick but in those moments you know like I just I just remember feeling like this tightening of my chest, even though I'm I've known exactly what was going to happen. I still felt that sense of dread when it was happening. Yeah, and I think of some of the dread. Chris, you made an interesting point earlier when you said like they some kind of predator, and like does he want to eat mm-hmm. the kid? Does he want to do something else? And that's not at all because Skarsgård in any way does anything that seems like he's hinting at anything sexual. But it's just yeah, the fact yeah. that he's like uncontained lust like he can't even yep. control yeah. he doesn't even try to control it eventually like, like you yeah. see the veneer cracking and you just see this hunger hunger <laughs> you see like the eyes say, rolling the back of his head like, like he can't even <laughs> control it he's talking to him about popcorn and everything and then when he looks back it's even given up the illusion it's just sitting <laughs> there like slathering over him like he just can't control itself and that is unsettling the, yeah. the, the, the length the great desire because you could see at this point that he has no good intentions for <laughs> georgie and he just can't even control it. Like, he's not, he's playing the game, and it's the point where he's headed, it's the point where you're close enough to the wolf's mouth. Mm-hmm. The wolf doesn't need to play nice anymore. You know, it's not to pretend to be a yeah. sheep, because you're close enough. And that's the moment, I think, and George even is like, I gotta go now. Like, he turns yeah. around, and he's going from talking about circus peanuts or whatever to, like, like he's just, oh, and like, drool dripping <laughs> out of his mouth. It's a ter- It's kind of a terrifying scene, particularly yeah. from the perspective of, like, I think that's where the adult and the kid kind of fear cross over. But let's talk a little bit because, I, I, I mean, two things that we want to talk a little more about, I think, would be the kids and how they interact with, with Derry. But I think if we talk, let's talk about from a film perspective because I think visually 
Um, the movie looks beautiful. Like the, oh, yeah. the, cin- the director of cinematography here, uh, Chung Hung Chung, he's worked a lot with um, uh, Chan Wook Park, who did Old Boy yeah. and yeah. all of those movies, Handmaid. like Sympathy for Lady. Yeah, Handmaiden. Uh, all he's those in all those cinematography shot movies, like, yeah. and, which had that very Korean kind of like sensibility <clears throat> and uh, a real sense of like time and place and, and, and the use of his spaces and like yeah. the atmosphere in the movie is great which to me is always like about one third of a horror movie is uh, maybe totally. more yeah. is an atm- is atmosphere and the atmosphere is perfect it has this kind of like low hanging melancholy and despair like even over the dread I think dread's there but there's a despair of feeling of this town's just dead that Derry's in Derry's been like no good for a long time and it's only getting right. more and more no good and that might be the one interesting thing about updating it of course we realize it's probably mostly updated to the 80s it's an interesting device because we can have the modern characters in modern times and we can have the movie taking place around the time King wrote the book which is kind of cool we also know it's probably because Stranger Things did really well <laughs> last yeah. year or, or or also the people are generally just fixated on things of the 80s but I feel like it's interesting, too, because it kind of shows just how far... Like, the dairy of 1950s was still kind of operating, you know, um, well enough. But this seems even more deteriorated in a lot of ways. Yeah. The dairy well, that we I, see in the movie. I'd say, I'd say, too, like, this does not feel inorganic to the story. Like, the, the uh, updated setting in the 80s. Like, it, it never feels... Like, they're just playing on nostalgia. It feels more like it's a period piece, if that makes sense. No, they've done a lot of I research. I feel you're right about that, yeah. Um, because of this, in a way, this is a kind of a timeless story because this thing keeps popping back all over twenty seven every 27 years or whatever. Like, it feels like that... It makes sense. I, I don't know. I thought it worked well. It mixed well. I think because they never... Like, there's one kind of... there. There's the one bit involving, um, I think it's probably safe to say, New Kids on the Block. <laughs> which is the one like returning thing but it works well it's funny it's it's yeah. it adds a nice like upbeat tone to some of it uh and it gives some nice things for uh, the character of ben and the character of uh, beverly to play off of mm-hmm. each other a little bit but um i one thing i appreciated that you don't always see in movies like this the 80s is always just trying to name drop things you loved in the 80s right. and like honestly if they really wanted to do this name dropping and like play the nostalgia one of the things that the old movie had, or the old book and the and the and the original uh, movie had, miniseries had, were the Universal monsters, were like yeah. were visions of their fears. Uh, so these saw like teenage werewolf, and I think the Gilman attacks at one point. But if they really want to do that, they could have updated this to like I'm sure they could have got the copyrights like Freddy and Jason. They were talking and, about doing that, yeah. and I'm glad they didn't. Honestly, I'm glad they me didn't too. because that would, uh, it would take me out of the movie. A little bit. So they avoid that, and I think that that was the right call. I think the reason that is not true of the classic monsters, although in the 50s it would have been true, you know, if they'd made oh, this yeah. in the 50s mm-hmm. that way. But I feel like the classic monsters are, are, are sit outside of, you know, they're so iconic that I think using yeah. them doesn't immediately just be like, oh, come on, really? Like, that's so gimmicky. Right. And, but... Like, the period details were good. And one thing I appreciate is I feel like when they do something like this, they always want to reference as many movies and books and stuff mm-hmm. as they can. And so when the kids go to the movie theater and the theater is showing, like, Lethal Weapon 2 and, like, Batman, <laughs> those movies were actually playing in 1989 or 88 when this movie took place. You know, like, these were the yeah. actual movies out at the theater. And, mm-hmm. like, when we see the summer go, by the time they get to the end of the summer... This is the only Freddy reference in the movie. They have Nightmare on Elm Street 5 playing. But <laughs> yeah. legitimately, if it's... you were to look at the release schedule of that year, 
that's what would have been in the theaters at late August in that's you know cool eighty nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like it's, it's subtle. It's subtle, and it's uh, other than the new kids on the block. Which again, I agree with you that it's it's part of that story. It's funny. It's a good like running gag for it. But other than that, there's not like any strict call outs to like hey look at us we're the 80s do you guys like a flock of seagulls here's us wearing our you know headbands and sweat like cut off sweaters. they're not driving around not every like... 10 minutes to my sharona like in super eight <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> but i mean like while we're talking about that too like i mean we obviously gotta say like this movie was gonna live and die by the performance of these child actors and i mean honestly there's three standouts, and I'd say that's Beverly, um, Richie, and also Eddie. But, I mean, this movie, if, if they didn't have the right group of kids playing these parts, it was not going to function. And, I mean, these kids just knocked it out of the park. And I haven't really seen any of these kids other than uh, the kid who played Bill and then, obviously, the kid from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's that's right. Uh, Finn Wolfhard was Richie, who... If Finn was in Stranger Things, and he's a very different character. He played Mike in that movie, mm-hmm. and uh, in or in that series, and here he is uh, Richie. But I thought he did an excellent job at being a different kind of kid than the kid from Stranger yeah. Things. Mm-hmm. You know, Richie yeah. is uh, he's totally different. Yeah. On the yeah, he's funny, but Richie on the page is a character who can also be a little. Uh, I think even Jason says he's a little grating, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. because he's kind of a smart aleck. He's a loud mouth. He, he curses a lot. He's disparaging. It's always kind of good-natured towards his friends. Mm-hmm. And it's used like a kind of knife or a cutting tool, like a defensive mechanism to, to people who are not his friends. But yeah. uh, the Richie of the books was also a very, in some ways more than maybe some of the other characters, a very caring kind of shepherding he influence. Uh, he was always there for every member of like the, the Losers Club in his own way. And he might shuff it off with, uh, you know, get out of here. But you see that in the movie. I think that's one of the nice yeah. nuances is you see him coming alongside Eddie and coming alongside Mike and all the other characters. In a way, it's good. I think a character, an actor who is, I think because they're just taking him for granted, like Richie and uh, Beverly are kind of standouts because Beverly has a lot of emotive drama stuff to do. Yeah. And That's a very heavy role. Yeah, because person. Beverly has a lot more going on with her, really, than almost any of the other kids. Bill mm-hmm. Bill has lost a brother who's been murdered, yeah. uh, but Beverly's got a pretty dark home life. Eddie's, mm-hmm. you know, Eddie's got a very domineering mother, but it's in a it's in a kind of different way. And um, but Beverly's got an abusive father who may be abusive in in many different ways. It's it's really unclear. But the uh, Bill uh, Jane Lieberhauer plays Bill, and who's in. Um, I thought was very good in Midnight Special. He does a lot here that I think is easy to take for granted because he's the main kid. Yeah. He's kind of, in a in a lesser movie he would be the main hero kid. You know mm-hmm. he is maybe still in a way, but um, there's he has some pretty strong scenes. There's one scene I won't get into too much where when they they're about to go into this house in Nebold Street where they think that this monster may actually live, so they're considering that they're going in. To, to, to do battle, really. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they're not just going in there to check things out. They know that when they go in there, it's probably going to be in there waiting for them. Yeah. And um, the he gives what I guess would be the hero speech on the steps of the of the, the house. But to me, it's just about the most, like, emotional or poignant moment of the movie. But down yeah. to what he says and then also how he delivers it. Because... It's very matter-of-fact. It's very frank. He does a really good job of playing this character who has a stutter. 
because sometimes yeah. people can get hung up with that little bit. Mm-hmm. But I thought he did a nice job, and then there's a moment where he lets it go. You know, Richie's like, you didn't stutter one. You know, like, he, yeah. he lets it go, and it's very effective. So I think he's going to be, I, I, like you said, Eddie, uh, the the young actor playing Eddie was great. And Sophie Willis, who I've never really seen before as Beverly, was fantastic. She's, uh, she, I, I guarantee you, you're going to see her in a lot in the in the future, she, oh, yeah. she's so good. In I movie. hope it's good. I hope I hope that the. I feel like yeah, I feel like she's gonna have just like Beverly in the movie. She may have to watch out for creepers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, just people wanting to cast her and all kinds of stuff. You know, yeah. like that happens to everyone. You know, like um, Chloe Grace Moretz shows up and suddenly they want to cast her in all these roles that are a little just beyond her. It's like no, let's you know. Let's let let's kid be kids just a little bit. I say it's about a movie where people fight a murder clown, but yeah, I think they were all great. Even the even the kids like uh, Mike and Stanley. I think we they're uh, they don't exist in the movie as much as the others, right. but they're still good. I think they're still good. Yeah, there's yeah. nobody there's there's nobody that's bad in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the only if you know, like I'm gonna sing this movie's praises for a long time. Um, if I if I had to, like and we're I'm, I keep forgetting Ben too like the kid who plays him he's so endearing like you really feel for his character you really like him a lot the kid who plays him does an excellent job like all of these kids are good in this mm-hmm. movie um uh, if if I had to point like I, I don't know if we want to talk about any negatives that you guys found with the movie um for me if I have to say one thing and this is just a personal pet peeve um is you know, I don't like the reliance on the CGI. Uh, I think it works mm-hmm. in some sections, kind of like with the. Uh, I don't want to, you know, go too much into it, but uh, Stanley's fear when that comes to life, like that kind of works a little bit like that because that's in that realm of like weirdness. But some of the CGI is just a little too heavy in scenes where the practical effects they look awesome when they're doing that. Uh, it works sometimes, not all the time. Um, but you know, this is when you, when you think about it. This is a movie that was made on a thirty-five million dollar budget, which for Hollywood today is really nothing. And with as much money as they made on it, you know, maybe they'll improve on some of those scenes uh, when they get to the part two of this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I have very little to complain about with this movie at all. Um, but absolutely, anytime you can get uh, you know some sort of physical stunt or gag versus a CGI, I'm always for it. And this relied a little bit too much on CGI, but it's still, overall taken as a whole, it still works very well. Yeah, I think the the issue with some of the CGI is that there were scenes where they they made it look artificial on purpose when there was no reason. Like, mm-hmm. I think the CGI could have been used, and, and in some scenes, to me, there's some people complain about, but like, there is a... There is a character, uh, like a kind of leprous character. Mm-hmm. To me, I know a lot of that was CGI. It really looked fine to me. I didn't have an issue with that. That, To be honest, the, the thing that you mentioned, Stanley's fear, to me, that was probably where there was too much CGI for me, personally. Yeah. Like, that was the creature that was like, okay, that's a that CGI. Most, like, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it felt like it had popped out <clears throat> uh, literally of like another movie, uh, another, another popular. Yeah, The Conjuring. <laughs> there you go. It felt like it had just been ported or over Mama. from The Conjuring. Or, or Mama, which was Andrew Machete's first movie. Um, but I think that part, there are points where the CGI just draws attention to itself. There is a scene kind of where like Pennywise is doing a little dance or something, and it's just the way it's shot and done. It's like it's it's over stylized for no good reason, really. Mm-hmm. Which kind of remind draws me back to like one movie I really remember that being very obvious about, like thinking, man, this is just way too over stylized. The first Saw movie, like 
Yeah, uh, the first, that was a music video. That whole thing honestly, felt like a music video. Like a lot of people talk about the problems with Saw and it being overly gory and stuff. I don't know about the sequels because I never saw them. But the very first movie isn't that gory. The part where it's gratuitous is yeah. in its horrible style of like shaking the camera, trying to make everything look exciting. It's like if you're trying to make it look exciting, I don't believe you are exciting. You know, you're <laughs> you're protesting too much and like. It just I remember one scene in that movie where Danny Glover was like moving the steering wheel and the whole oh my God, screen was yes. shifting as he drove and I'm like this is garbage and honestly like it's one of the main reasons I dislike that movie there weren't nothing in it nothing is remotely close to that but when we talk about some of the subtlety no. and nuance in the in the drifting down the river what about the scene where they all um, well I'll finish up about the special effects those scenes of like the nuance and the subtlety. They don't jive as well with like the crazy scene of Pennywise dance. Like, yep. and if he were just dancing and we weren't moving the screen in a very artificial way, and if there yeah. wasn't a lot of speed ups and blurs and just stuff, once you start doing that, you're putting distance between me and the believability of what you're it's showing great. me. There are scenes where Pennywise is contorting, and I mean, I know that Machete when he did Mama, everyone talks about how CGI that creature looked, but Machete had an actual like kind of contortionist playing that creature, and then he CGI'd over it, like. Perhaps yeah. if he'd only had the contortionist, yeah. it might have been a much creepier proposition, like Doug Jones in Pan's Labyrinth when his hands come out and everything, mm-hmm. and you could see he's wearing the like costume. Uh, when, when Skarsgård at one point comes out and he's sort of twisted all up and he's unfurling, like, yes, I know that's not Bill Skarsgård or probably any human being doing that <laughs> in that moment, but that's effective and creepy to me. It looked cool. Watching him enough. unfurl is like, yeah. So I get what you're saying, and I think because there was such nuance and such... Uh, even the soundtrack and everything, like there was yeah. the score, there's such patience and care. Uh, the scene when Beverly sees the blood in the room, you know, where it is sort of creating hallucinations for them, not unlike a kind of Freddy kind of, you know, element. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this blood spurting everywhere. They definitely upgraded that. It feels like the the new Evil Dead movie a little bit. <laughs> and then, but then they have the kids come in and, hey, we see it too. And then a scene of them mopping it up, you know, like. Yeah. Things like that were very effective. Me, it showed them going the extra mile. What about the scene where they go to the, uh, like the the gorge or whatever for the to, to and they go swimming and they swim yeah. for the first mm-hmm. time? That was almost shot like a Malick movie. Almost, it was, you know? yeah. Um, and um, it, maybe exactly, a, so. yeah, maybe a Polanski movie in some parts. But I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, but th- this is also you know we talk about it a little bit later. We talk about the book stuff, but like. Uh, there is an element, there is a something that happens kind of in the books that has been removed from the, the movies that kind of deals with the, the kind of like that adolescent, sec, you know, burgeoning sexuality that the movie was right, or the movie was right to excise. But I feel like yeah. any kind of what King was trying to get at with that segment is sort of handled here, you know, I think in, in a yeah. tasteful, subdued subtextual way. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And um yeah. in a, in, a, in a, what's a pretty nice scene. In fact, it, it reminds me more of something like what Wes Anderson did in like Moonrise Kingdom or something mm-hmm. right. than anything you see. Not, yeah. It's not salacious. It's you know like honestly that like you had mentioned earlier about, you know, what is this like for kids, you know, is this something that's possible for kids? Um I kind of think about it in a way like I think this is almost kind of a poignant movie for kids. Um you know, especially at that age group. Because, you know, this speaks, you know, there's a definitely a nostalgia factor, you know, watching this as an adult, especially if you grew up in this time frame. You know, I kind of felt that while I was watching it, too, as somebody who grew up in the 80s. Um, but I also think it's important for kids, you know, at that age group to kind of see something like this, because it does speak to a lot of the fears that you feel as a kid. Like, it really puts you in the perspective 
of what is scary as a child. It's the bullies at school. It's the, you know, abusive parents and things like that. Like it, it doesn't talk down to these children. It, you know, it validates their feelings. And I think that's a big part of what the book's about too, you know, not like really like listening to, to children and seeing that these, these fears are, you know, things that go on to into our adult stages as well too. They might manifest in different ways, kind of like the creature does in the movie, but it's also, you know, it speaks to how you feel at that time frame as you're growing up. Yeah, I think it's it's a rated R probably, and it's Stand, Stand by Me is a rated R movie too, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I feel it. Yeah, uh, and that was mostly to, due to language, mm. and like definitely there's some gore in this movie, but but also this movie was never going to be PG just because of Richie Tozer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but he's got if, some if great he made lines. PG thirteen, that would have been so wrongheaded. Yes, yeah. Yeah. plus then I wouldn't have gotten my favorite line. Out of right, thing. right. Richie does have a great <laughs> yeah. line towards the end of the movie, and the the movie plays a lot of expectations. It is you're not going to go into this and find this like revolutionary horror movie, but this is a good comfort food horror movie, and it's a very Absolutely, good movie. Yeah. It's a good dramatic movie. It is as good in a lot of those ways as what people consider the good Stephen King movies, like you know Shawshank Redemption and mm-hmm. and the 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 Paul McCary and things like this. And and honestly, I think this is just me personally. I actually think that Machete's version of it, this first part, is a better movie than some of the Darabont King movies. Not not Shawshank, oh. but. I like it better than the Green Mile. I like it a little bit better than the Mist. I I really like the Mist, but yeah, I think it. Def- I, I agree. It's like definitely the top <clears throat> Stephen King adaptations. This is definitely like one. That- it's like right under the Lawnmower Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If, if I'm I, just kidding. If I had to pick one like updated change, you know, to the story that I really enjoyed in this movie, um, in the miniseries. Uh, there was a scene where they were looking through a scrapbook and in this one there's a scene where they're looking at a projector and i loved this update to this i thought that was like really cool um surprising as to like how Mm -hmm. that scene ends really effective yeah and and you know what i loved about that scene that's the scene that's the scene that you could feasibly i'm not saying you should that a you could feasibly show like a kid. It's also the scene that would have worked in a PG thirteen version of it. Like it right. let's just say if you had to make one, mm-hmm. like the scare is something that's kind of appropriate for a kid's horror film. It would have scared the pee out of them. Yes. But yeah. I mean it it's uh it's scary in that kind of funhouse sort of way, I guess I'm saying. Yeah. It's like there's a mm-hmm. there's a variety of different scares. It's neat it's like almost a potpourri of horror, you know, there's like kind, of, a yeah. kind of darker despair. Uh, I heard someone talking about that about some of King's movies, like Pet Cemetery. Like, oh, you got very different varieties of horror that pop up, and uh, and that's true of that movie, and it's true of this movie because King does do a lot of like playing on fears. Mm-hmm. You know? So I'm really happy. With it. I'm excited to see what they do with it. I um, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm just glad that we do have a good adaptation of this. Yeah, and uh, that that they're going to continue the story. And here's my prediction: because the movie's doing so well, and I think. They set it up nicely, which is that they we've noticed that they didn't obviously cover everything that was in the books as, as they were kids. Mm-hmm. They couldn't have. But I think we're going to maybe get more of those scenes, maybe than even they planned. I do like that they made this movie first, and they 
thought, hey, we're going to make the second part, but they didn't completely commit to it to the degree that this movie spent all this time setting exactly. up a second movie you may never yeah, get. Yeah, I've been reading stuff about their, they've been making plans to include more like stuff with the kids in the second movie. Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a whole sort of metaphysical side to the story that I'm hearing coming out now that they want to actually explore. They've really left the door wide open for it. They've made the money. I think they can probably ask for what budget they want at this point. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and this movie could... If they do it right, they use the resources. This, I think, this movie deserves and could benefit greatly from a big budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see the second part, definitely. and I think though that here's what's they're going to happen is this movie. No one can escape the fact this movie is built around these kids, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to see a lot of these kids in the next movie oh, too. Yeah, I definitely. think that, and I think in some ways they've sent their arcs in such totally different directions that some of the that the adults may even just be more framing story in a way like not completely i think it, i don't see how it too can be a completely adult centered horror story yeah and be as effective or satisfying as this one was no you know like i think can't. it I, I think i don't know or if let me not say that it couldn't be but i don't think they'll go that direction fully yeah i agree so um chris anything else you want to say about the movie or i'm actually just excited to sit down and actually read the book and uh because you know after we watched the movie you and uh jason and seth had read the book and it just sounded like there was so much more to the story than obviously the first half we've gotten but a lot of neat details and stuff so i'm really interested in diving more into that kind of universe i kind of like that about the movie too that it is the books are so dense that Mm -hmm. there's absolutely a good reason to read the book after you've seen the movie. Yeah. Like, you're not just yeah. getting a replay of events. You've exactly. got this whole story that's, like, sitting underneath of that. Mm-hmm. Seth, how about you? you have anything else? Yeah, the only thing I have left is, you know, I'm really happy that the movie is doing so well. I mean, this is really going to open up the door to a lot of other, you know, hopefully good King adaptations. I think Muschietti's already in talks to be on board as director for the new pet cemetery remake that they were already planning <laughs> I would which do, i think yeah. he could do a good job with that would be great um i sure we'll get but, to this you know, when we get to pet cemetery but i actually kind of like the old movie i think it's pretty good i like the old movie too. yeah, yeah i like that a lot i thought pet too. cemetery 2 was your favorite <laughs> <laughs> oh wait is this the hot messes podcast <laughs> i don't think it is <laughs> but i mean i just it's exciting to see that you know and this i think this because this is already going to go down in history as like one of the highest grossing horror films of all time, especially you know having one of the biggest September releases. Yeah. So, and I mean, you're making like almost 300 million already in two weeks on a 35 million dollar budget. I mean, that's that's huge. But I mean, this is this at least could send a message that yes, you know, people are interested in seeing horror movies. They are interested in seeing R-rated horror movies. You know, not saying that everything has to be gory or over the top or anything like that. But there is a call for more adult, you know, versions of horror films that, you know, a lot of us enjoy. So I, I hope this is going to bridge the gap and, you know, really help bring a lot more of that stuff to the forefront. Um, I like the fact that this is just not another paranormal activity movie, <laughs> like that there's creativity here. It feels different. It's not so much relied upon only jump scares to, to make you jump out of your seat. Mm-hmm. There's a real story being told. It's done well. They care about the characters, and there's love put into this as well, too. Like, you can see that in every frame. And I just think it's going to go down as a, a really classic horror film and one of the best of King's adaptations. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, what we'll do next is Seth and I are going to just delve into a little bit more about uh, book versus movie. And uh, what we're going to do, too, is, ne- like, we're, n- we're only going to talk about the first part of the book in terms of, like, 
uh, I say first part of the book, but not really the first part of the book, but just the segments of the book that relate to the uh, kid segments. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do, because I'm not all the way through it either, that before part two comes out, and by the time you finish it, Chris, <laughs> that we can get back Seven together years from and it. really talk about maybe, you know, kind of like really a discussion about the book mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 the second part of the book, how that all plays, and maybe our thoughts or expectations or even wishes for what we might like to see done with the second part of the movie. Because I think that would be fun, and we really haven't delved into that very much. Um, so anyway, thanks a lot, Chris, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Okay, everyone. We just discussed it with Chris and uh, the first the first part of the movie, it the Losers Club. And what we're going to do now is talk a little bit about the book. Uh, it's a huge book. <laughs> Seth and I read it many years ago, and we are making our way through it again. I've made my way uh, a good ways into it, but I I started probably a couple weeks before the movie came out, and I knew I wasn't going to get all the way through some of the urgency has fallen by the wayside so i'm trying to to get back reconnected with it it has nothing to do with um i mean reading seeing the movie as may as renewed my interest in wanting to finish the book but it is um it's a big book yeah uh that being said i've probably read it a couple times before this at least twice before and uh, which is impressive because it being such a book good book i mean a big book uh you really kind of have to have something that wants to bring you uh <laughs> to bring you back to it. But what I want to do now, we had a very general sort of review of the movie. What Seth and I are going to do is talk about the book, talk about the details in the book, and then talk about that in light of the, both the new movie and the miniseries from 1990. And I think we are going to sort of create the same separation that the new movie does in the sense that we're not going to talk too much about the adult pieces of it uh we will leave that for you to discover if you've seen the first movie if you've not read the book and you want most of that stuff unspoiled we're going to try to keep most of that out of out of what we talk about in cases where i go beyond that i'm not going to issue any spoiler warnings other than say everything from this point on will be a spoiler for the new movie that's out yeah however i will issue a special spoiler warning if we start to go into things that uh haven't really been presented yet in that would be showing up in it part two so with that we you've heard that we were both big fans of the movie um let's talk the book seth do you want to uh start and and just tell us uh tell us a little bit about what you thought when you first read the book so like you said i've i've also read the book at least twice uh starting when i was probably like 14 13 was maybe the first time that i read it and initially the first on the first read it was one of those books that i I really couldn't put down like i read it in just a few days at the time which for somebody at that age you know was kind of like a a marathon like i just any spare moment i could find like i would just grab the book and just try to get through the next chapters and it really captured my imagination um it was there's definitely a lot of scary moments in the book and especially when reading it you get so invested in the characters but that being said the biggest thing i took away from it was my love of the characters themselves because you know one of the 
greatest things that King has a knack for is building interesting characters, characters that you actually care about. And like, I felt like I knew these kids or like I had kind of had this group of friends as, you know, at that age. And also, you know, just feeling kind of like an outsider at that time as well, too. It just all kind of coalesced into that novel itself for me. And it just left such a big impact on me. Uh, like, I, you can completely understand why it's one of his most popular novels. Why when people think about Stephen King, you know, the idea of Pennywise is one of the first things that might come to their uh, mind, you know, along with, like, The Shining or something like that. Um, but it was just one of those things where you you really get just so drawn in to the world that King is creating. Um that you just you you want to you want these characters to survive. You don't want anything bad to happen to them, um, and I think that's one of the real highlights of what the the new adaptation of it has done. Is you actually do care a lot about these characters. You don't want to see any harm come to them, um, and I think that it, it captured the essence a lot of of what the novel was doing. Yeah, and I think. I think this is definitely one of his most popular books it comes at 1986 he's been writing for a while at this point um novels a little bit or you know of a, maybe a little bit over a decade at this point um when was carrie carrie was 74 so this is 1986 so yeah you're talking he's been writing now for about 12 years and our initially we were going to try to kind of go in order we did carry first carry was the last one that we did and then we were going to kind of move forward and i was fully expecting to have gone through some of his other stuff including salem's lot uh which i'm looking forward to doing um and the shining but we we've skipped over here because it is so popular right now and it was a good breaking point like having just seen the movie and uh, getting together like we did and going to see the movie it was a, a good place i think to stop and discuss it but i mean king this is now we are talking about a kind of fully established king who's popular who uh isn't just popular but he's already by this point in 86 seen several of his books become movies so uh at this point he's written all kinds of different horror stories and it is a strange sort of amalgamation i feel like because up to this point i think the more sentimental side of king has come out in some of his books uh but hasn't been that prevalent uh salem's lot and the shining are pretty dark novels uh so is cujo not this is not to say that it is not a dark novel but there's a certain image of king i think that people have particularly if they're people that grew up with many of the miniseries of which it spawned really in the 90s like that there's a kind of kindler gentler stephen king uh the key, the stephen king of the shawshank redemption and the stephen king of stand by me uh a lot of the stuff had was, was written and created but uh and there, uh, there was a lot of that going on in his short stories but i'm not sure that there was anything as openly uh sentimental as it prior to this and, and seth uh i don't know off the top of my head every one of the books that came out prior to this but like even the ones that are a little more um a little more humanizing like the dead zone and Firestarter, i i still don't think of those as particularly 
warm, friendly no. novels. No, not at all. Um, and the, while they have characters that we can kind of relate to and care about, it sort of is a game changer, I think, this is my personal opinion, in that element where we talked about King and kind of showing a certain kind of compassion. A compassion that, like, your average reader kind of can kind of pick up with and connect to. And I think a large part of what makes It the Book successful is he captures childhood in a very realistic, very meaningful way. And he makes it kind of painful, too. Um, there's a lot of authors I can think of that I love uh, who write childhood just wonderfully in a way that makes you remember it better than it was. Uh, Bradbury comes to mind. Um, and in some ways, it is like the dark side version of Dandelion Wine. I don't know if right. you've ever read yeah, that yeah. book. That's sort of Bradbury remembering what it was like to grow up in Greentown. He calls it Greentown, Illinois, like his hometown. And Derry, Maine is not anything like Greentown, Illinois. It's kind of like this dark, uh, rotting place. And the kids don't quite know that it's rotting. But this is the summer that they learn that it's rotting. And um, it's really kind of fascinating to see how he pulls this whole thing together. And he's telling an epic kind of horror story. I think that's the thing about the book that we and we just had this discussion. Uh, there are so many elements. There's so many different kinds of horror that he gets to play with here. Um, because we talk about how this is a story of an evil clown, but it's not really the story about an evil clown at all. It's a story about this kind of dark force that channels what you're afraid of. And we've seen that done before, but I don't know that we've seen it done in such a way where you've got it playing against the vulnerability of kids in this way. And kids that, these aren't just vulnerable, because all kids are vulnerable to a degree. Kids in dairy seem particularly vulnerable because they get eaten quite <laughs> often. Uh, and, and not just that, but their parents either seem to be absent a little bit or actively abusive. So there's one element where nobody in Derry seems safe. This particular group, I mean, they're called the Losers Club. They, they're like at another level of disadvantage. Not only are they picked on by the school and they don't belong really anywhere, but each and every one of them has some sort of tragic kind of hang-up or, or scenario where they either have to be strong or they're going to get broken already. So in one way, this makes them stronger than anybody else, which is why they end up crashing up against it. But it's a beautiful book without the horror stuff in it, honestly. Yeah. Like if you took the horror stuff out and you left the bullies and you left um, the struggles with some of the, the, the familial stuff that's going on, you'd still have a wonderful book. But I do think it's made stronger in some ways by casting it as a horror story. Well, yeah, and it's it's uh, you, you'll hear a lot of people compare it to this, and, and with Rayleigh so as well too. Is it's Stand by Me with monsters in it because it does feel very similar in not not so much in the structure of the story, but in the way that the characters interact with each other. Like like you said, the way that it kind of brings up that feeling of nostalgia together. That's that's one of the biggest parts of the novel itself. Like I said. Is you have a huge cast of characters in this book. It's we we mentioned the last time that you can kind of even think of King in a Dickensian kind of way, and and this is definitely a novel that's going to really drive that point home. I mean, you have each one of the Losers Club. They're very fleshed out characters with their own 
identical uh, stories and quirks and things like that. But it, it never feels like false. It never feels like, okay, this is the stereotype of this, and this is the stereotype of a kid like that. They feel like real, lived-in people. Um, and I think that's why it's such a strong book itself. And, and it does give you that feeling of, you know, both kind of that melancholy feeling when you think about nostalgia, where there's parts of it that are fun and you know, adventurous, but then there's also a lot that we tend to forget that's also very scary and and sad and just dealing with the bullies and not, not even the supernatural ones, but we all have had to kind of face something like that at some point. And just the way that this novel kind of weaves all those different stories together is what makes it so interesting. Yeah, and it does it does a fantastic job of that, and I think that that's the challenge that is presented to any kind of movie adaptation, which I think one of the reasons this new movie is so successful is because it does manage to weave that together. But King was was working on a, on a different kind of uh, level of ambition because he he shoots back and forth between the past and the present. And like I said, we're not going to talk a lot about those present what would be considered the present in those in that book uh which is technically it's already the past it, it, in terms of when the new movie is set because uh it's basically taking place in 1986 when the book is written and uh the new movie takes place in about 1989 uh at the end of the 80s uh but of course that difference is now 30 years forward just like it was 30 years back uh you added 30 years to the 1950s you you're brought up to like 86 so it's interesting that you, and, and having lived through all of that, it's interesting to realize how I'm in that kind of place now, yeah. you know, where the characters of, of, of it were. And you had alluded to reading it when you were younger. And, I, you know, a lot of people I've talked to, like they read it when they were like in kind of high school or college. And I definitely read it a little bit younger than that. And it sounds like you did, too. And uh, it's not a book I would recommend to children, really, at all. No. Uh, however, there is something that's appealing, I think, at a multiple levels there because the stories are compelling. And if you are a little bit younger, you're some you're going to bounce off some of the darkness and be caught up in some of the other in some of the rest of it. It is definitely a dark story. You can tell that by the film as well. Uh, what I want to do though is talk about some things that are spe- we've already you've already heard our take on the movie. So let's talk about some things that are specifically different and then also how they work those things in the movie. We've kind of already introduced the Losers Club as they appeared in the in the film. But uh Seth for me, one of the things that stood out to me in reading the book that was always kind of interesting and I think they captured this in the movie, and you alluded to it, was that characters like Henry Bowers, who is the bully, yeah. um, these are creepy characters. Yeah. They're they're fleshed out. They're interesting people to a degree, but he doesn't make them that interesting. Uh, I think it's purposely to show kind of the banality of evil, that they are essentially cowards. Yeah. In fact, you could say that one of King's basic through lines for this book, and actually maybe a lot of his work, is that ultimately every heavy, every big bad that's ever been, is at its heart there's a coward, there's a bully yeah. lurking there. Uh, ultimately what they learn about it, the monster, is that it's the same way. Yeah. Uh, that once they've beaten Henry Bowers at the apocalyptic rock fight, which is what it's called in the book, that rock scene, it's handled in a kind of amusing way in the movie, 
it's a little it's a little more symbolic. Yeah. And actually everything in the book is more symbolic. It's definitely more symbolic. It's the first moment I think where the kids realize they might be able to defeat the monster. Yeah. That once they've taken out Henry Bowers, what else could scare them at that point? Uh, much like the film, like when he's finally confronted and once they have kind of torn through that childhood fear and they're in a world that's not less scary but more scary but they understand they have to deal with it there's not a lot of traction the monster has over them anymore that's a classic conceit but to see and i and like i mentioned i thought they played it out very well uh that was one part where i think um scarsgard's performance seeing him afraid and kind of uh kind of scrabbling around on the ground and, and, and sort of panicky and desperate. I thought he nailed that as much as he nailed any of the other. He's desperate. Um, the Tim Curry clown is trying to put on kind of a brave face, you know, yeah. and he's more like irritated with them as they start to like close in on him. But this one, he, he, he just kind of embraces the like, it becomes a sniveling, cowering thing. And that's when the kids realize, uh, but kind of when you allow a bully to crawl back to itself and regroup, it, it, you know, that's another thing that it's still dangerous. It's still, uh, it's wounded, but a wounded animal is sometimes just as dangerous. And of course, we kind of see how that comes back. And there's no surprise, I think, everyone yeah. realizes there will be a second part. And Pennywise will come back. But in that, I think what was interesting about the book specifically that I want to talk a little bit about is the town of Derry feels like it's polluted. And he, King spends a lot of time in the book discussing that. He spends a lot of time in the modern sections. He spends a lot of time in the in the younger sections with the kids when they're young, uh, talking about how it's just kind of a very dark place that has a dark history. And that one of the things I thought was interesting, and maybe you can correct my memory on this because I don't know if I remember it correctly, I don't think King ever in the book comes out and necessarily gives us an answer of whether Derry is such a terrible place because it is basically nesting in it, that this dark force that has different names for itself, and at one point is even narrating a portion of the book, if I remember correctly, which is kind of one of the coolest and weirdest parts of the book when we kind of come to find out yeah, what right. it yeah. really is, or at least how it sees itself in comparison to not just these kids, but the whole world. You don't know if Derry is bad because it came there, or it came there because it was attracted to Derry. Uh, and I don't think he ever really... We know the two are connected, yeah. But and we see how they're connected later on, but I don't think it's ever clear the it chicken before the egg kind of thing. Am I right in that? Yeah, I yeah I don't I don't think there's ever a point where he specifically nails that down, uh, but I think it's it feels like they they were places that were made for each other, the entity and and Derry itself, right? And that's a part where you kind of get this analogous thing when when King is showing this kind of uh, dead towns, haunted places, haunted people are like a classic King conceit. Um, if you think about a lot of his other movies, um, you know, in Carrie and the Dead Zone, that it's the people that are haunted. Um, when you're hard up for a story in Christine, it's the car that's haunted. But uh, the town in Salem's Lot, the house, the overlook, you know, the hotel, like they're like vessels for evil. But we're never really, we're not quite sure 
how they got that way. There's always a like kind of um, almost symbiotic relationship between the evil and the location of the evil. Well, it's it's interesting. You know, I'll say this is somebody who, you know, growing up on the East Coast and especially like the northern end of the East Coast as well. There, I, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but there there are definitely places here, and I, I think it, some of it is just because. For us as a country, it's it's old, um, but there there are definitely places where you go where these small towns, and that's what it feels like when you're reading it. Like he builds the world of Derry, that town of Derry, that it feels real. I, I can think of places I've driven through that have just kind of like this underlying strange feeling when you go through them, and I think that's that's one of the things that drew me into the book so well is because I could just from his writing and then also having like experiences of places like that where you know you you can see that this town that there is something beneath the surface when you go through it feels kind of almost alien itself when you when you drive through one of those places I don't know if you've experienced that before Nathan oh no absolutely and I think um that's one thing's the the king hits the nail on the head again horror is not always about the way things are um but it 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 can be about the fears that we have and sometimes we'll drive through a place and you get that bad sort of feeling you know you drive through maybe you don't see anything or you drive through and you see this you'll drive by and see that one kind of vacant looking kid sitting out front of the like the corner store or whatever and you just think man what is this whole town like you know and um, I remember one time driving through a play, uh, some little town of PA, and there were just there was a kid standing out in the yard, and one was dressed up as a whoopee cushion, and one was dressed up as a dollar bill, and I was just thinking, what goes on in this town? <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, and I mean I think that's how you get the genesis for stories like Children of the Corn. You know, King's basic thing is never stop yeah. in a small town as you're driving through it. But <laughs> exactly. then if you have if you have the misfortune to grow up in a small town that's something uh, completely different and yet it's also that kind of world where when a when kids grow up in a world that they find a hostel it it becomes their whole world dairy a lot of people could leave dairy if they wanted to but a lot of people don't and the movie and the book both kind of give us examples of people who can't leave or don't want to leave and um in the move this new movie it's mostly relegated to the kids uh but let's let's talk a little, and I do think that's one of the things that this movie over the '90s version gets right is we do get some of the backstory of Derry, and we get some of that like the um, the the explosion at the plant, you know, that kind of um, yeah. was it the bottling factory uh, yes, that blows yeah. up at, right around the time of the Easter egg hunt, and the I always thought a very interesting piece of story is the black the the uh, the black spot. That yes, whole segment. Yeah, Do that you want to talk great, a little yeah. bit about that? Um, because I know, in interesting in the book, it actually has a shining connection, and I don't. We don't really get that in the movie. Do you remember that? Yeah. So uh, the black spot was it was a nightclub, um, and I think it was mostly um, frequented by black soldiers um, from a, an army base nearby, and I, I think it was it was burned down when a like a clan group had come through. And set fire to them. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just looking this up too. And it says, yeah, one of the people inside was a young Dick Holleran who actually worked in the kitchen. But who was actually able to get to, to flee to safety at that time. Um, he gets a couple other people out as well. And it's almost, we. it doesn't drop any lines at all. But you kind of think 
that maybe one of the reasons Dick was able to get people out was because of his shining, of his yeah. ability. Which, uh, that's one of my only points of contention with the newer version. Um, and I, I can understand why they did this, but I, there was a much bigger subplot of racism, um, especially being in the 50s. Um you know, that played a bigger part of that, you know, of Mike's story and stuff like this with, you know, the clans in the town and they're, they're burning down and murdering all these people, um, you know, and the way King sets that up and, you know, that just, it, it plays to the whole idea of, you know, like we said, there's the bullies who are the, the physical human bullies and then you have the, the entity that's a bully. The town is cursed and it's also filled with cursed people. Um, you know, so I, that that's one thing I think was missing from the newest adaptation is is having you could see that they wanted to try to go there a couple of times um, the way that the bullies were treating Mike like you need to leave our town but you you could tell that there was more to what they wanted to say I think in that in that um, space there but I think that's a really interesting part of the subplot of it is is Mike's story. In that regard, and that whole scene talking about the black spot, about how that entire thing went down, is is genuinely disturbing when you read it. Yeah, I kind of that's the one, and I think this is a good opening then to talk about how we felt about the changes between the kid because we can't talk about everything here. But two things I do want to talk about is differences we notice in the character of it and Pennywise between the book and the film, and then also what we uh, differences we see in the kids. And how they were treated uh, between the two adaptations, or between the two sources. The, we could talk about the movies, both movies, the miniseries, and the new movie, and then also the book. But Mike, I thought Mike got a little bit of a short yeah. trip, just a little bit, in the new movie. I think the actor was doing a great job. I think what was there was good. And in fact, I really kind of did like that they slow down in the beginning and give us those scenes of him on the family farm in the beginning. Uh, with his grandfather, who's who I recognize, you know, that's uh, the actor's name's like funny, but he was Rufus from oh, Supernatural, yeah. and he was also he also was in um, the first se- first season or so of the X Files. So um, I, I like him. It's always good to see him, and in those scenes were kind of powerful and effective in the beginning, and and kind of not just defining him as an outsider, but also um, how his family points out, you know you've always got to be wary. You kind of always have to be a little bit on guard and you've got to be prepared to, uh, he's trying to show him how to kind of put the sheep down. You've got to be ready to take that role because if not, someone else will put you in that yes. role. Um, if you're not the kind of hunter, you're going to be the prey sort of mentality. Not exactly that, but this idea that you've got to be ready to, um, to do tough things sometimes because it is a tough world. And, uh, it is it is a tougher world in some ways for Mike than some of the others for for reasons that are specific to his skin color. However, I think you're right. It becomes downplayed and a little bit secondary because of the fact that it is 30 yeah. years later. And while things by no means, and in sometimes for small towns where 30 years goes by and a lot of people haven't changed the way they've thought at all in 30 years, it's still Derry is a different place than it would have been in the 1950s. And things like the black spot would have been a lot more painful and where, but here's where I have the issue is by taking Mike's father out of the scenario, like and having he and his mother kind of die off screen when Mike is young, we kind of lose something about Mike that I that they may not be willing to pursue into the next movie. Because I will say, 
there are some changes here that I feel like are going to make the adult versions of these people different than they were in the book. Uh, we very rarely get something where they split a book in half yeah. in this way, this nature, where the book is half. Like, we, I've seen plenty, like the Harry Potter book, where, okay, here's the first half and here's the second half. But this isn't quite that. This were two parallel running stories, and we were seeing both things at the same time. And so now, what are my, seemingly minute changes to the first installment of the story are going to probably yield bigger changes in the next yeah. Yeah. section, the next segment. And so one of the things I'll talk about for people who are familiar with the books taking away Mike's father showing him that picture book of the pictures, you know, uh, old things that happened in Derry and, th- and and seeing pictures of it when it was a younger town and going back and not giving Mike that background yeah. story. I don't think it's too much to say that one of the aspects of the story is that Mike stays in Derry and Mike in some ways becomes the, the historian of it, if you will. He becomes the person who... He's trying to learn everything he can about it and, and keep up to date with what happens in the in the intervening years of when they were kids and when someone has to call them all back. And Mike kind of takes up that role in that mantle. But the seeds of it are planted by kind of having Mike be that person who has a connection to the history from the first part. There's two characters who kind of have connections to the history in the books. One, the other one is Ben, who spends a lot of his time in the library because he has no friends. That's in the movies as well. That's in the movie. It's also in the book. But I, if you're to, the impression that's given when you watch the movie is that Ben is actually more of the like historian character, yeah. uh, at least in the film. Like he is new to the town, so he, the new kid on the block, and he, uh, he's going to research this place and, and find out. So he's the one who tells the story about the bottle factory. He's the one that provides most of that. Mike is just kind of on the sidelines uh, in a sense in that yeah. regard. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm really interested to see how they're going to play out his character in, in the second part. Um, Cause that, like you said, that is a, that's a pretty big change there. I can see, you know, they, the way that they're using Ben in the movie is kind of, you know, he's like very new to the school, you know, and he's a loner. So he's staying in the library researching this stuff, how he could find that. But I just want to see where they're going to take Mike's character in the second part. Yeah. Because I think Mike is a large part of that second story that we're, uh, it's a little surprising that in some ways he has uh, now granted in the books, it is true. And this is one of the problems when you're making splitting this thing in half. Mike Mike does show up later than the rest of the characters yeah. chronologically in the young the younger segment. But we but the film does give us Mike from the very beginning, you know, we just see his path a little bit separate from the rest of the losers. Yeah. So that's my my thoughts with Mike. Um we kind of start talk about Ben. Ben doesn't really do a lot in this story um that ties into what he eventually becomes. And I think that's actually strangely true of almost everybody in his story. King gives them all a kind of like little magical like ability, if you will. Yeah. Almost like this is like kids Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> um but I mean but but yeah, like you see this kind of um we talked about uh offline here about how talismans in childhood sort of like uh these little pieces of childhood begin an almost magical importance in yeah. the king world in the in the in the world of it the book uh an inhaler can become something that shoots battery acid right. you know uh 
a silver bullet can destroy anything supernatural and evil. Yeah. Um, a, a bicycle can become this sort of chariot that will race you away from the darkness. And I like, actually, that all those things are in there and used in that way. I feel like the movie was a little wary of them, so it's removed a lot of them. Uh, we see Silver, the his bicycle, Bill Bill Denborough's bicycle. Yeah, that was a nice uh, little it, nod. It, yeah, but in the in the in the uh, book and in the miniseries, you know, it, it's it's a much more significant. It plays a more significant role. Yeah. Um, and in fact, there's a whole chapter called "Bill Denbro Beats the Devil," yeah. which sets up something that happens later in the in the story too. That it seems to have just been removed. Now, it certainly could happen. I think the they have the latitude here of the second movie could show up, and they could have filmed all these scenes and still get them into the movie. Those things are largely gone, or at least absent in this movie version, um, which I was okay with, but I did miss them. Uh, to be honest, I would have liked to see them. But Ben has this sort of like um, a tinkerer's and sort of a, a designer's mind. He helps them build the dam when he first meets them, uh, which is kind of out of the movie completely. And he also is the one who helps them engineer and make the silver bullets that they ultimately use to kill it. So we see these sort of elements that lead into his later what he his later career in life uh, manifesting themselves now. I think it also allows Bill to be a little bit more... Uh, not Bill, excuse me, allows Ben to be a little bit more of an integral part of the team. And so in here and taking that away, they basically make him the historian, the kid. He's the guy who knows things. Yeah, I, it's it's one of those things that's it's difficult to do. I mean, you have the the new movie, which is is pretty long for a horror film, especially for a modern horror film. It's close to two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah I mean, so that's that's a good long that's a that's a long stretch. And there's just there is so much in the book that I mean, like you could do a couple of films if you wanted to get everything in there. So I mean, I I'm more willing to be like, okay, I can understand why they would cut some of this. Like, even just the barons themselves play a huge role in the book. Like they spend a lot of time there. That that whole area is completely fleshed out in the novel. Um, I'm not concerned. I, I think it's in good hands. I think you can see that there's a lot of love for the source material there. And even with the changes to, you know, changing it to the eighties and stuff, it still doesn't lose like the real spirit of the novel. Um, but I, I am curious to see how they're going to handle the adult section because I, I like the adult section in the book. Um, I think it's, it's a little lesser than the, the children's section. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do, what changes are made and how it's all going to kind of, cause I mean, there's, there's a big, there's a huge difference between the ending of the children's section from the novel to the adaptations. Uh, and then with the adult section, we'll, we'll see kind of how that plays out as well. Yeah. And I think there's a good place to talk about those. A couple things I want to say, and this is the one point where there's maybe mild, very mild spoilers for the second part of the book. Uh, in terms of the adult, I'd say the second part. It's not really the second part of the book. All these things I'm talking about happen in the first 30 right. or 40 pages yeah. of the book. But they would be what would be considered the second part of the movie. Uh, and I'm talking about them right now because I actually have a pretty confident, not 100%, but I'm a little bit confident that they probably won't appear in the new movie, the sequel, or at least not to the extent that they yeah. appear in the book. And it's because I want to talk about, and I think you'd agree, Seth, 
a good bit of what occurs in the movie, the new movie, is drawing on things yeah. that actually happened in the second part of the book. I think there are whole character arts, character arcs that are to a degree completed in this new film that I don't yeah. think he's necessarily going to go back to. Now, I've talked with some people who say, but isn't that part of the tragedy of, of adulthood? You grow up and you repeat the same mistakes because you forget and remember that they forget. And these are all good points. They could do this. But let's also remember that when you want to keep something fresh, particularly like Bill, I thought they, the Bill is pretty much, is probably one of the characters that is most similar yeah. to who he is in the book. Uh, however, there is a big change because something we haven't talked a lot about, probably won't as much here because it's not a component really of most of the movies, is uh, dealing with this metaphysical level or this cosmic level on which things yeah. are also happening in the story. That while it is a physical monster, it has a physical body, it also has, um, it is in the kind of referred to at one point as sort of, it almost has the feeling of like a gin yeah. or glamour or a kind of thing that is uh, almost not even, um, a lot of people say, is he like a demon? He's not in any sense a, no. a Judeo-Christian demon. Uh, if anything, he feels a lot more yeah. like a Middle Eastern, uh, like a force of darkness that you would find in Middle Eastern mythology. He's closer, in a lot of ways, he's closer to something from the Arabian Nights than he is, I think, from your classic Definitely. European monster or even... Um, kind of american a concept of a, of a monster um he, he but but he goes beyond all that i mean he's older than time at least the time that we seem to know and and i say he but in yes. fact that's not correct either and um they learn what it is to a degree in the yeah. book in the child that section, smoke lodge weird, scene like it's smoke lodge which i kind of like because i think this is where king is kind of showing himself, you know, he's he's kind of tapping into something that is sort of like distinctly American, but it also adds another level on top of things of like these kids. The another the more the magical. It's sort of yeah. been a difficult scene to have in the movie, particularly if you weren't going to get into the cosmic nature of it. And when you get into the cosmic nature of it, you're not going to do that on a thirty-five million dollar budget, <laughs> yeah. which is a weird thing for me to say, but it's true. Like. Uh, there are all kinds of characters and things going on at that level that maybe in a sequel they certainly could do. And if if they do decide to expand this to the cosmic and metaphysical, they'll get some of that. Yeah. So we see what the deadlights are, how the deadlights play into what it is. And we learn about the turtle, the great turtle, who's referenced in just a few kind of sly little Easter eggs in the film. But Bill probably, I would say, he... He makes out the best in terms of keeping his character arc. He has great scenes, like we talked about. One of the strongest scenes, I think, is where he decides to go in the house on Niebold Street. It's it's kind of cool to see him uh, mastering some of his own fear, you know, that I don't know that he completely does when he's a kid. But uh, that stuff's really good. The interesting thing, I think, is that Bill has a specific connection to it. Uh, as a result of sort of what happens to him when he's down there. And they actually kind of trade yeah. that off and give it to Beverly. Like in terms of the person who might have the most knowledge or understanding of what it is, there's two characters who have an experience in the film that is greater than the other characters, and one of those is Beverly, who is yeah. who sees the deadlights, and the other one is Stanley, who at one point has it when it's hiding out as that like creepy painting woman or whatever has put its entire mouth over his face. Uh, and something yeah. happens to stand there. You know, we kind of, uh, 
we know that the book implies other things um, that 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 Stan had a similar kind of experience, I think, to Beverly in the books. Not to Beverly in the books, but to, to that Bill and Stan have kind of see get a little bit something extra from their encounters yeah. with the monster that they carry on with them. And now Bill's not one of those people. Uh, so I think that's interesting. He still ends up kind of being the guy who initiates the blood pact at yeah. the end of the film. But he's not quite the same person. But what about Beverly and... We haven't talked a lot about Eddie. Eddie Kasprak and Beverly Marsh are the two kids who I think have the have the most um, unhealthy home life. Eddie's is downplayed in the movie, and Bev's is maybe played up a little. Um, I think that Bev always had a very bizarre, strange relationship with her father. He does not have a healthy view of her. No. He definitely beats her. Um her mother's alive, however, in the book. Yeah. And actually, well, not that she's not alive in the the other iterations. I think both iterations she's, maybe one, I think in the miniseries, maybe she's died in the book or in the new movie. It seems to be implied she's left them. Yeah, that's what I got from it, yeah. Uh, but she's still around. She just works a lot in the book, at least when she's young, you know. And so when he's beating her and and he's got this kind of like overbearing, weird relationship with her that i don't think in the book it's ever quite come out that he has sexually abused her but he definitely equates her with a sexual object which is very disturbing in many parts of the book yeah also very disturbing in the way that they handle it in the film too well the the film i think almost goes a little more overt and seems to imply that that Beverly has yeah he is molesting her yeah that he if he hasn't yet that he's on the verge and he starts to make starts to cross over into that in the film this scene echoes something that happens to Beverly later in her life at the beginning of it the book uh, as everyone's being called back yeah and we kind of see that Beverly in the books doesn't really deal with her father she never has a culminating confronting moment she has a moment where she runs away from him when he's calling to her and he demands her to come back and she runs she she does rebel in that way but she never has an enough is enough kind of moment in the book at least when she's younger yeah so she kind of repeats this cycle of abuse eddie kasprak also doesn't seem to ever get out from under his mother he can go f- and that's kind of the tragedy the king kind of gets that they can go and fight this cosmic monster <laughs> that's eating souls or whatever but that they aren't able to overcome their own parents right yeah it's that's yeah that's a really interesting take on it that 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 that's one thing that they can't get away from here um and yet the movie kind of puts them in a place that um love conquers all in a really creepy way yeah. in the book uh which we could talk about but you're gonna have to talk about yeah <laughs> uh but Love conquers all in the movie in a in a in a in a mercifully more um, subdued and uh, kind of nuanced way. Yeah. And what I think is interesting is that they very well may turn around and have Eddie Kasparak having all the same issues he had uh, because he's forgotten. Yeah, it's he's forgotten the uh, same uh, way with with Bev. But I'm not convinced because there are characters there that aren't necessary anymore. And in in for the purposes of streamlining, having Eddie not be in this same scenario now that he's confronted his mother uh not giving bev something else to do than repeat the cycle of abuse i think will be good 
for I think a so sequel. too. I think so too. I like you said. I, I'm not sure if they're going to go that route of they have forgotten it completely. I I, I don't think so personally. Yeah. I, I'm just leaving it out there. Some people might say that. I think that they're showing that these these people were made stronger by their friends. I think we will find that they are a little bit weaker without their friends. Yeah. Or they found things to replace them with. Uh, Stan doesn't get a lot going on here. I feel like some of Stan's scenes were actually cut. Uh, yeah, um, I think so too. I, I, in fact, I say I think, but I mean, there's a one of the things that drew me to the film initially was when the first trailer came out, and or first or second trailer, and there's a trailer where Stan... It's Stan's voice talking. He's talking about how it is vulnerable to be a kid, and no yeah. one listens to you when you're a kid, and it's dangerous to be a kid, and it's even more dangerous to be a kid in Derry, and it ca- captures a certain kind of sensitivity and hopelessness that kind of, like you said, it sets you for the, oh my goodness, you feel for these kids. You don't want to see them harmed, and that's missing from the film. It's, it's, that feeling's not missing from the film, but that literal like bit of dialogue yeah. on Stan's part isn't in the movie. Um Stan gets short shrift, just like Mike. There are are reasons for that, obviously. I'm not going to get into them here. Yeah. But I would have liked a little bit more. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I mean, he's got a few, like, interesting standout moments. But, I mean, really, this is... The main way it's Bev, it's Bill, it's Richie, and Eddie. Like, they're they're the, the highlights of this adaptation of it. And I mean, with 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 good reason too, because so, the kids who do the, um, who play these roles are all excellent. I mean, there's not really a there's not a bad kid actor among them. Like everybody's good in it. Uh, there there does come this thing we kind of probably need to talk about is a little bit of spoilers if you haven't read it, but it is related to the and you've probably already heard about it a little bit. It's related to the end of the book, uh, the end of the kids' story in the yeah. book. Uh, where there's a lot of things that we that are talked about that may come out in the second movie, the ritual of Chud, the um, the it being this kind of cosmic monster. But there gets to a point when the kids are lost down the sewers. Is this prior to them finding and fighting it, or is it afterwards? I f- I feel like it's um, beforehand. I feel like it's. I think it's right before ends. they're lost. They're lost in the sewers. They can't find their way where they're going. They're starting to come apart and fight each other, and then. Beverly, it's not so much as she suggested, it just starts to sort of happen. There's this weird kind of mystical aura. I'm not sure what King's trying to say here. I'm not sure King completely knows what he's trying to say here. He's yeah. trying to establish this. This is the tunnel through which you pass through childhood. But yeah. he decides that in order for Bev to sort of like bring everyone together, the, it's a bunch of guys and it's a girl, so she's going to have sex with all of them. Yeah. Like so, it's like a, what a bunch of eleven or twelve year olds yeah, yeah. having like group sex down in the sewers. I mean, there's not a thing about this that's right. No, and um, you know, as it's written in the book, it's not written particularly salacious. No, not still, at all. I mean, the yeah. fact that it's in there is probably salacious. But yeah. uh, King's not really trying to get like make something titillating. He's just uh, he's a wrongheaded, I think. Is, but he's trying yeah. for something. I, I you could see what he's trying for. I still think it was not a good idea. Um, it just doesn't quite work. No. Um, also, because there were probably a thousand other things you could do, <laughs> and, the, and the movie aims for one, and King does another. But at, basically, Bev is seen as this um, kind of you know maternal sort of force, and 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 kind of she 
bring she becomes this sort of channeler of the love by like literally having sex with them and it kind of gets everybody back on the same page it's just like weird connection but it's strange to me that like you know you're thinking well how can the girl be of use well she'll sleep with all the guys and she, you know we'll, we'll get them right back on track and then the new movie it seems to be for all these writers who come up with these creative ideas and how to handle this story that when it comes to how can we make this girl save this group of guys with love we get down to one of two choices she can either sleep with them or she can get herself kidnapped <laughs> and uh it doesn't i mean that's what they came up with i got a great idea she's gonna get kidnapped and that'll bring them all together because they'll have to save her i mean really <laughs> Now, I think Bev is a much stronger character in a lot of ways than she is, even in the book in some yeah. ways. And she's a great character. She does bring the, the, the group together, not just through this. She's a vulnerable character in ways. And in some ways, showing her vulnerability against her strengths really works. I mean, all of that's well done. It just it was a strange choice to me. Yeah. I Just to, to talk about the, the book part of it, too. You know... It, the one thing I, I'll, I'll say, like, I completely agree with you. Like, there's no reason that it needs to be in the book. It shouldn't be in the book. I could totally understand if he would have, like, re-released it and completely just taken that whole part out of it. If you're, because there is a lot of controversy around that, and that's especially people who've never heard, you know, never read the book or doesn't don't know what really happened in the book. You know, a lot of them are finding out, like, what the hell, <laughs> what the hell is this about? Um, I will say, you know. For for one thing, it's at least happening. It's it's a group of kids. It's not happening, you know, there's no, like, adult coming in, you know, or anything like that. It's, like Nathan said, it's not salacious or anything. And I do think it's interesting, like King pointed out when they recently uh, interviewed him, he's like, everybody always wants to talk about the sex scene with the kids, but nobody has, you know, they don't even bat an eye at the the entity that's killing children throughout the rest of the the novel. And I mean, there are some, they don't get into it in the, uh, in either of the adaptations, but there's some really, really dark stuff that happens with some of the bullies, uh, Patrick Hockstetter, um, in particular. So, I mean, like I said, I, it doesn't need to be in the book for anything, but if you are reading it, it's not going to, you know, it's not something there to try to titillate you as a yeah. as a reader. I, th- I think one of the things that people latch onto, and I think is right, and was probably galling to King a little bit, is the fact that it just feels off. Like it, not not just like because you're right, there are salacious moments kind of involving Patrick Cox there, and that seems kind of strange too because Bev is actually this is it's the culmination of things to a degree because you got the weird relationship between she and her father. Yeah. Then you've got a scene where she's actually watching, looking at the boys like genitals when she comes across the the bullies right like there's a part where like bev is kind of lovingly checking them out while they're like giving each other like hand jobs and lighting their farts on fire <laughs> yeah. like and that's right before patrick hockstetter has this very violent death it's very much unlike what happens in the book um and hockstetter's whole backstory it's very very dark involving uh, the infanticide of his young brother <laughs> right um i mean it's pitch black in a lot of ways and like the um the stuff going on there is just it wouldn't have been on screen they couldn't have put it on screen they shouldn't have put it on screen yeah it's an important moment in the book actually when it happens i think that's the thing it's not just a throwaway moment right it's actually kind of important like crucial element and it's just makes you kind of roll your eyes yeah like 
like it's not it's i don't think it's all down to oh i can't believe that's so horrible because and i think as you read it when you're older it's actually more galling to you than like when you're of that same age you're right. sort of like oh i kind of get it but like just doesn't doesn't quite work let's to me it doesn't work and i think that that every time they try to take a, a, a walk around that it's been better and i think that they did it pretty well here yeah i think so too um let's so one of the last things i think we could talk about and we can always come back we'll come back to this when we talk about the second part of of it the book um let's talk about it the monster itself yeah and how did you think it it, it uh how did that work for you, um, the way it was handled here, Seth? We already talked a little bit about what we thought about and how we thought about it in comparison to, like, uh, Tim Curry and the right. other elements. Um, big difference here was they really nixed the Universal Monsters that were a big part yeah. of the... Although not completely, because we do get a scene where we see Pennywise's hand kind of turn into the werewolf. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the most probably explicit is where... Uh, at the very towards the end in the book, Ben the monster that that gave Ben nightmares was the mummy. Yeah, and there's a point when we see it as it's kind of coming apart and freaking out. It grabs Ben, ben and it shoots like it's the mummy. It turns into the mummy. You know, you see the bandages grab his face, and he's looking up into the rotted skeletal maw that's right. biting at him. So those are kind of nice. I liked those. Uh, but in the movie, in the book, he becomes, at uh, one point, he is Frankenstein's monster. He kills a bunch of the te- uh, the bullies. Uh, at one point, he's the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> I think Eddie Corcoran is killed by the creature from the Black Lagoon. And um, and he's the werewolf. Richie sees him as the werewolf, not not the Lon Chaney wolf man, but the Michael Landon, I was a teenage werewolf. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I think, you know... Um... If I if I had to say anything, I, I I like the representation of Pennywise or it more in the new version than I did in the miniseries. Um, but there there still are you know big differences, and and I don't I don't know how much of the cosmic side of it we're even going to get into. Like we'd mentioned before, like there's not really any talk of the deadlights other than like a few very very quick scenes. Um, only one of those being very specific when when uh, it's Bev facing Pennywise and you see the deadlights. Um, so Although I, that's pretty specific because we actually do see them. Yeah, you know, we kind of like we see a representation that looks about right and whatnot. And it's I, I just don't know how much we're going to get into the actual backstory of the entity. I, I'm assuming that they're going to talk more about that in in the second part. I feel like they're kind of they kind of have to discuss that and we do know that the kids are coming back um they've already been there for reshoots uh, or shoots for the second movie so who knows we could even end up getting the sweat lodge scene at some point in the, in the and i part. wouldn't mind that really yeah. um i like you say i they, they're in a great place to handle it i yeah i think that the way it is handled as a character has been interesting so far but i think that um what they've set up is they've they have created a place and they've done some things where they don't necessarily the we talked when we talked about the movie we talked about how for me anyway the kids and their relationships are the heart of the movie they're the meat of the movie they're the meat of the book um and it comes forward i loved all the kids stuff in the book i liked some of the adult stuff i don't think it was as strong 
as one of the reasons it was strong at all was because of the back and forth, the way it was juxtaposed against it. Not having it juxtaposed, I think they're going to have to do a few more things with it. And I think they've set themselves up in a place where they can really spend. And I think it's also because I don't know that this has ever been 100%. Um, I don't know how official it is. I've always heard that the first movie was referred to as the Losers Club. You know, they called it like It Part 1, the Losers Club. And then It Part 2, Pennywise. And I've heard Machete, particularly after this movie's big success, kind of like alluding to the fact that they really want to be able to learn to kind of explore and delve into Pennywise and his backstory and what it is. And that would make sense. And that actually would be viable, I think, as a movie. Yeah. I think that we're at a point where we could handle the metaphysical stuff a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and if we have dealt with some of these hang-ups that some of these characters have, having them kind of delve into the metaphysical place might be the best place to go. Uh, there, there's, there's things in here that I just wonder where they would go with it. But I like the representation. I noticed that some of the stuff like Bob Gray has been removed where he... Yeah. Uh, he introduces himself as Bob Gray the first time he meets Georgie. This is what the clown does. And the clown has a weird backstory of its own, or tries to. Uh, it's definitely more of a medieval harlequin, obviously, in the in the movie. But I like the way that they handle it. Uh, it, it most everything I I thought was very good there. Like I said, showing its, it, it, it being sort of a cosmic bully was interesting. I do want to see it explored a little bit more in the next yeah. in the next movie uh, and i think that we will see that but there's not really i mean honestly uh, there's not a lot of complaints i have about this particular movie no. i think the old mini series that we talked about i liked what tim curry was doing the only thing is tim curry in, in the second half he becomes more like a menace he's more of like a um like a like a really um freaky inconvenience yeah he doesn't feel as much of a full-blown threat. No, to the no, kids. the threat feels gone there. He's just kind of—he he just shows up to just like tell jokes, like really bad jokes, and particularly yeah, then the Curry version, he's jumping around doing stuff. It's fun to watch. Yeah, but just have quite that level of menace, and I'm—I think that we'll see that level of menace probably in the next one. Yeah, we'll we will come. We'll definitely come back around. I'm sure by next year. And finish up the second part. So we, we did want to stay away from spoilers as much as possible here for a lot of people who haven't read it. Or... I recommend, actually, I recommend the new movie. I recommend the miniseries, honestly. I would I would probably read the book first. Yeah. The book is a great experience. It is a very good book. Um, it has a lot of flaws. It has a lot of things that are wrong with it. Um, but none of those, to me, are... Um, deal breakers no yeah and like i said i said too before in our our kind of review of it this is this is a stephen king movie adaptation that we've been waiting for for a long time um you know it's a lot of them are very hit and miss and to get a good horror adaptation of his work is few and far between and i'm loving the fact that this movie is just making a killing at the box office right now because hopefully that means that that you know we're going to get some more actually good adaptations of his work and not just people you know doing mini series not kind of like living up to the story itself so um you know i'm i'm super excited for the next one I think this is one of my favorite horror movies of the year and of the past couple of years. It's just a fun, scary movie, and it captures a lot of what makes the book uh, really good as well, too.
Yeah, agreed. Um, so it's it's great. It's a good book. It's one of King's stronger entries, I think. And it now has a very good movie adaptation and a, a decent enough miniseries adaptation. <laughs> so um, we will catch you guys next time. Take care. Thanks, everybody.